Well, in uh, 2014, Kyle Eidelman, you may or may not be familiar with that name, uh, wrote a book called Aha, The God Moment That Changes Everything. And in his book, Kyle really stresses the point that there's moments in our life that we call aha moments that are like they're spiritual revelations. They're those mountaintop experiences that we share with people. We get excited about what God is doing in our life where we see, experience, feel God just moving and he makes us aware of his presence. And so it, it becomes a part of our testimony. And I think we love those aha moments. We long for those aha moments. But this morning, I would like us to understand that just as important as the aha moments are the duh moments. The moments as a husband, as a father, and as a pastor uh, that just kind of like, duh, I knew that. And I, I think we need to understand that these are just important in our life as the aha moments and may actually prepare us for those aha moments. And how the duh moments, I know that's not a biblical word, but the duh moments play out as a parent. And so if you're a parent or a grandparent, you've probably experienced this. We love our children, right? And so we, we, we teach our kids, we, we sometimes preach to our kids, we instruct our kids, you know, you shouldn't do this, you should do that, whether it's about choices or relationships or just activities to be involved in. And so we teach them these things and we pour these, this, this wisdom that we have as parents, right, into our children. And over and over, over the course of years, we do this. And then one day, we come to church and we send our kids off to children's church or to go see a children's minister. Or they go to youth ministry or they go off to youth camp or children's camp and they have this aha moment for them. And they come back and they tell us as parents, did you know I should be nice to my brother or sister? Did you know I should respect you as my parents? Did you know I shouldn't lie, but I should tell the truth? And, and for us as parents, what are we thinking? Duh. That's what we've been pouring into you for the last several years. That's what we've been trying to tell you. That's what you get in trouble for because you're not listening and we have to remind you of these things. But for our kids, they have this aha moment where the light goes on because they hear from a different verse or a different voice. And as a parent, it becomes the most frustrating thing in our life because now this youth pastor, camp pastor, children's pastor has now become the wisest person in the world to our kids, even though we've been saying the exact same thing over the course of years. Can I do an amen for that? Yeah. <laughs> and if you are a parent or have yet to be a parent, have yet to experience this, let me just tell you, you will. It will come and your child will come home one day and the light will be on in their eyes and they'll be smiling and beaming because they had this mountaintop experience, this aha moment that, you know, God is good and God does love me. And did you know Jesus died on the cross for my sins too? And we'll be like, duh. That's what I've been telling you. But as adults, we can do the same thing, right? We have dumb moments in our own life where we find ourselves in a predicament. We find ourselves in a moment of struggle. And we try to do everything on our part to figure it out, to work it out, to make it just seem to fit the way we think it should fit. And then God brings his word into our life that he has already spoken Sometimes a verse we've heard numerous times before. And we have an aha moment, but I believe our father says, duh. 
That's what I've been telling you, and this is what I've been preparing you for. In the midst of crying out to God, for example, for me, my confession is I tend to be a worrier. You have any worriers in here? Not warriors. Ugh, yeah, no, worrier with an O. In the midst of my worrying and trying to figure it out and, and you know, if this and this could work, you know, or, or this and this could work, I always end up on the other side of the worry and God takes me to the same verse every single time. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble its own. And I get this, duh. I knew that. But it's so hard to live it sometimes. We're in a series called uh, going through the book of Joshua. So you have your Bibles. Make your way to Joshua chapter 1. And we're going to be in Joshua for, I don't know, as long as God wants us to be. But Joshua is in the midst of transition in his life. As we go through this series, it's a series called A Journey to Promise, looking at this transition that God is doing not only in Joshua's life and the Israel's life, but before the transition can fully come into fruition, Joshua has to have some duh moments, some reminders. So if you have the word of the Lord, we're going to begin in chapter 1 of Joshua. Joshua's in the Old Testament, uh, right after Deuteronomy. You find Joshua right before Judges. We'll be in chapter 1. We're going to just read the first three verses of this chapter, and then uh, we'll allow God to do what He needs to do. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, that's speaking of the Jordan River, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. Joshua connects this book we talked about last week to the book of Deuteronomy and to the first five books of the Old Testament, dealing with Moses. If you're not familiar with Moses, you can just go back to Exodus and, and uh, just read your Bible and you'll kind of get an idea of who Moses was. The end of Deuteronomy tells us that God comes to Joshua and the Israelites and lets them have this period of 30 days of mourning, which connects it to Moses is dead after the death of Moses there in verse 1. The Lord comes to Joshua in verse 2 and declares to him this duh moment. It's this thing that Joshua already knows. He, he, he knows what has happened, but the Lord says, my... Moses, my servant, is dead. Again, it's not something Joshua is unaware of. But Joshua needed a reminder that though Moses had died, the promise of God lives on. And the mission is still moving on. And so the Lord comes to Joshua to give him this duh moment, this reminder of the promise that what began with Moses, even though he is dead, is now to continue with you under your leadership. And so the opening Joshua begins with this transition from Moses to Joshua. And if we just wrap our heads around this idea, for the last 40 years, 40 years, 
Moses has been leading the people of God through the wilderness. And now in this moment, as we come to chapter one and we can sometimes read over it so quickly, we have to understand the mindset of what's going on. Joshua is now stepping in as the leader of the man who led for 40 years. And his job is not to go through a wilderness, but to go into the promised land. His job is to lead this people into a land that is already inhabited by other individuals. Warren Wiersbe captures the book of Joshua like this, that it is a book of new beginnings. It is a book where God is leading his people to new challenges, new experiences, new lessons in faith, and new goals. For the last 40 years prior to Joshua, the people of God were getting to know God through the law, through the sacrificial system, through worship. And now as they stood on the Jordan or in the banks of the Jordan River, 30 days after the passing of Moses, they look out into this new horizon to where God is taking them. And Joshua receives his first duh reminder that we need as well. God has placed us for his promise. That's what Joshua needed reminded. That's what we need reminded. News of Moses passing no doubt had an impact on Joshua and the Israelites. Like I said, the Lord gives the Israelites and Joshua 30 days just to mourn over the leadership of this man and his passing. But he comes to Joshua to remind him that now that his 30 days is over, we must continue on. We must move on with what we need to do. And to understand Joshua is not only filling Moses' shoes, but Scripture lets us know in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, that all of the fighting men have passed on. All that generation has died. And so now Joshua is taking a group of power walkers into conquer this land inhabited by armies and kings and nations. Under leadership of Moses, the Israelites would come to know the Lord and what he was requiring of them. And what we see is Moses played his part in God's story. For 40 years, Moses was trained in the school of Egypt. You go back to the beginning of Exodus, 40 years after his mother placed his faith, her faith in God to take care of her son, 40 years Moses grew up in the school of Egypt, which made him the perfect individual to be the ambassador for God, to go and speak on behalf of God's people to Egypt. Then 40 years after that, Moses spends 40 years after his 40 years in Egypt, his 40 years working for his father-in-law as a shepherd where he would learn how to lead a herd of people, a herd of animals so they could find nourishment and comfort and to protect them and provide for them. For 40 years, he learned how to survive in the open, in the wilderness, under the elements. And then God calls him and places him with all of his training and all of his leading to now be the leader of his people, to take them to the promise. During 40 years of Moses' shepherding God's people leading up to the book of Joshua, we're told that Joshua in verse 1 was Moses' assistant. The word assistant there in verse 1 means that Joshua was a minister or aid to Moses. For 40 years, Joshua served Moses who served the Lord, and he did it in many ways. Joshua began as a slave in Egypt. He was part of the party that came out. He would assist Moses as a soldier, as a confidant, as an aide, and ultimately as his right-hand man. We return back to Exodus chapter 16. We see as the Israelites come across or through the Red Sea, they're attacked by a group of people called the Amalekites. It is Joshua to which Moses commissions to take a group of fighting men to face the Amalekites. 
As we come into the book of Joshua, the reason that's important is Joshua is now the only individual in all of Israel who has any fighting experience, and it is he who God has placed to lead God's people into the promise in which fighting is going to occur. He was perfectly placed. We see this throughout Scripture. God placed Noah at just the right time when the world was wicked and needed saving. God placed Abraham at the right time when God needed a righteous family line so the covenant could be born in and continue through. God placed Joseph in the midst of angry brothers so the covenant line could continue despite a famine in the land of Canaan. God placed Moses to be born in Egypt, educated in Egypt, to become a shepherd for his father-in-law, and ultimately leave a cut, lead a covenant people of Israel out of bondage. God placed Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the fulfillment of promise. God placed judges to be the instrument of righteousness. God placed Samuel to anoint a king and eventually lead to David, who would lead to the monarchy of David in the messianic line. God placed the prophets to call out to his people to return to him. God placed John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Messiah. God placed Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to come in the way he did to save us and make God known. And according to the Bible, when the fullness had time had come, God sent his forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so we might receive adoptions as sons. And in Romans 5, for while we were still sinners, at the right time... Christ died for the ungodly. It's through the prophet Isaiah that God spoke to his people about their future glory when he says, I am the Lord and in its time I will hasten it or I will make it come to fruition. A very popular verse that Christians have probably in their mind or maybe on a t-shirt or hanging on the wall comes to the prophet Jeremiah where the Lord declares to his people, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. One thing we need to understand is Joshua needs to understand this dumb moment, this reminder, is God has placed us and has begun transforming us into the person that he needs us to be, to be a part of his promise. The promise of God is the will of God, the ways of God, and the perfect word of God. And God has placed us all here to be a part of that. In the book of Esther, Queen Esther is in the midst of a predicament where she can speak up for her people or remain silent. Her relative Mordecai comes to her and delivers this statement. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. What is he telling her? It's not relying upon you. God is going to do this because it is part of his promise. It is a part of his plan. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, opens up with a very bold statement that's a truthful statement that we need reminded of. It's not about us. It's not about us. Rather, it's about an almighty God who has invited us to be a part of his redemptive story, based upon his covenantal promise, and it's the same God that has placed us in this time to be a part of that promise. God has placed us here in Stratford. He's placed Harvest Hill here. He's placed you in 2018 to be a part of God's story. He's invited us to be a part, just like Joshua and Moses and Abraham and Joseph and John the Baptist and Peter and Paul. 
That's why Paul was able to write, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. Working together with Him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We're like Noah and Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and all these individuals we read about in Scripture. That God has placed us here in this moment to be a part of His promise. It's this reason in the book of Hebrews, after chapter 11 in Hebrews, which is called the faith chapter, that the writer of Hebrews is led back to point to this truth. That since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set is before us. And here's how we struggle with this. In our own life, in ministries, this is how we struggle in one way, is we all have past experiences. And sometimes we bring those past experiences into the church. Sometimes it's just part of human nature. I think Joshua is dealing with this past experience. He's got to come into the future where God is wanting to take him. But as a church, what we can do is we can gather together and we can maybe have heard statements like that. Well, we've never done that before. Or in a church like Harvest Hill, which is new, is that, well, we've tried that before and it didn't work. And so we can come up with all these excuses, but what you find in Scripture is God never comes to the Israelites and asks them, do you think this will work? He never comes to Joshua and says, well, I know we said something similar like this, but do you think it'll work this time? See, God's invitation to us is just like these individuals. We keep in mind, Joshua, Moses, all these individuals are sinful individuals except Jesus Christ. And God is inviting us to be a part of what He wants to do in this world. So the Lord announces to Joshua, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Can you imagine Joshua in that moment? Duh. I know that. Our Lord's commission is now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people of Israel. God called Moses to lead the people out of slavery. God called Joshua to lead them to be conquerors. Different times call for different leaders. And God has called you here to represent Him, to preach His message of salvation so that all people might know Him and the saving knowledge of His salvation. The second duh moment that Joshua has here is God has uniquely made us just as he made Joshua for his promise. God has uniquely made you. He's uniquely made me. He uniquely made Joshua. And we wrestle with this because we, and it should sound like a duh moment. Yeah, I know God made me, but he uniquely made you. Very opening of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates man and woman, the Bible declares that He made them in His image and in His likeness. We look at creation account in Genesis 1, we see that God created man and woman different than all other parts of creation. Even with the first man and woman, He made them differently. For the man, God formed him out of the dust of the ground. For the woman, he formed her from the rib of the man. And the man and the woman were each created with a different purpose in mind. The psalmist understood this when he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But we wrestle with this because we fail to live out how God uniquely made us. Instead, we try to fit into how we think we should be or what that should look like. And since I can't speak on your behalf, I'll only speak on my own failures and shortcomings. As a pastor, 
we will look at other pastors and we will judge their success and feel like we need to do something that they're doing. And you may have experienced this and not even known it. You may have gone to like Oklahoma or Florida or Texas and visited a church. And when you walk in, you hear a pastor preaching that sounds very much like Francis Chan or David Platt or Charles Stanley, depending on what generation they come from. And you sit there and like, wow, they sound so familiar. You may walk into a church and you see a pastor feels they need to dress up like Louis Giglio with tight jeans or they need to be buff like Craig Groeschel and, and just mm, fierce. And, and so as pastors, what we try to do is we try to imitate people we think is, are successful. So maybe we would find that success. But one lesson I had to learn in my own life is God did not make me to be like Billy Graham. He did not make me to be like Rick Warren. He did not make me to be like Charles Spurgeon or Martin Luther. God made me to be Mike Hurchin. And so if you come to church hoping I preach like a pastor you had in the past, you're going to be disappointed. Because I can't be that. Matter of fact, if you come to Harvest Hill... As we form a unique body of Christ, hoping that this church would be like the last church you were at, or is not like any of the other churches you were at because they were just, you know, bonkers. God placed Harvest Hill. This is something God has had to teach me over the last couple of years. But God has placed Harvest Hill to be Harvest Hill. Not First Baptist of Stratford, not Landmark down the road. Those God is doing great things there. God didn't place Harvest Hill to be Second Baptist of Springfield. God has uniquely placed Harvest Hill to do what only Harvest Hill can do in Stratford. And the same goes for you individually. God has uniquely placed you here at this church to do what only you can do and bring what only you can bring so that we might be the beautiful bride of Christ. God didn't uniquely make you and place you so you could be a pew or chair filler but he invites you to be a part of his promise. Another way we struggle with the way God has uniquely made us is that we get into the comparison trap. We start comparing ourselves to people we think are righteous and holy and, man, they're just closer to God than I am, and, and they may be. But we start to belittle ourselves. The Bible clearly shows that we are not to compare ourselves to anybody else other than Jesus. He's who we compare. He is who we're running after. He is who we're imitating and walking like and having the mind of. But all too often, and I know you've heard this, is we try to be like the Joneses, right? They got this, they got that. They must be doing something right, so I need to figure out what they're doing. But the Bible tells us that we are made in God's image and therefore we are to be image bearers of His and therefore to conform to His likeness. God did not make you and me to imitate another sinful individual. In my own time in youth ministry, I had to wrestle with this as far as ministries, is that I would look at other youth ministries and judge their success by their attendance. And they had, you know, they had the whole atmosphere and the worship band and like a whole concert-like. And so I felt like I had to be that. I had to do that as a youth pastor. Otherwise, I wouldn't attract kids and we wouldn't have a big youth ministry. In the midst of me trying to compare what I was doing and who I was and who God made me, you know what happened in my own heart and life? I came, became frustrated because I was trying to be something God didn't make me to be. 
So I became frustrated with myself. I began to belittle the image that God already made me in and saved me to be in. I began to question everything about myself. And it had nothing to do with my relationship with God, but because that's what I was comparing with. And so if you're looking across and you say, well, you know, those parents seem to have it all together. That marriage seems to have it all together. Those kids seem to have it all together. All you're going to ever be is frustrated. Because God didn't make your marriage to be like someone else's marriage. He didn't make your relationship to be like someone else's relationship. He didn't make you to be like someone else. He made you to be uniquely you. And the beauty of his story is he has invited you and me to be uniquely a part of what he wants to do through Harvest Hill. So a church may do a certain ministry and it may be awesome. But according to the promise and the story of God, is that doesn't mean Harvest Hill has to. And you may come from a church where, you know what, we, we just didn't do that. That doesn't mean Harvest Hill can't. We stand just like the Israelites looking into this new horizon. And God just calls us to follow, to step into his promise. And the beauty of this is what we see with Joshua and Moses is God has equipped us for his promise. God equipped Moses to speak to Egyptians and shepherd the people of Israel. God equipped Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Circumstances change, environments change, people change, but here's the thing that we need. God's promise does not. We need that. Because we live in a world of change, and this promise was not the promise that God gave to Joshua. It wasn't the promise he gave to Moses. It wasn't the promise he gave to Joseph or Isaac. This is 400 years, several generations, and God is still living out his promise. So much that his promise is set that he tells Joshua in verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, past tense, just as I promised Moses, as I promised Joseph, as I promised Isaac, as I promised Abraham. Things are changing Joshua and Israel's life, but God calls them to remember this, that his promises have not changed. And he has equipped Joshua and Moses, and he has equipped us to carry out his promise. So again, coming back to that idea about Harvest Hill, God has placed us here to be Harvest Hill, to be a part of His promise at this moment in time in 2018 so people might come to the saving knowledge of Him. And God has not only placed you, but God has uniquely made you to be what only you can be in making His church, this body, His bride, what God needs it to be. Your place to be a part of his promise. Our students are not the church of the future, and I never want to hear us ever say that. Our students are the church of the present. Try growing a youth ministry when you don't have any students. Our kids that are in children's church right now, the ones that have come to know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, they're the church of the present. 
Yes, they will take over the leadership of the church of the future, but God is using them in ways that he can't use you and me. Go try to invite a kid on your own power to come to church. Hey, why don't you hop in the car with me? It's cool, I promise. (laughs) We need those kids. God has uniquely made you and your marriage and your relationships and the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have, and he's placed you in the places you work. He's placed you in the activities you're involved in, in the schools and and, and, and the, the athletics. Everything that we're placed in, God has uniquely placed us there to be a part of his promise, and only you can do what needs to be done in that situation for the glory of God. But I can start to compare. I can say, well, I can't witness like Richard Campbell. I don't share my faith like Richard Campbell. Good. God didn't make me to. Richard Campbell has has relationships with people that I will never have relationships with, and he can communicate and connect with them in ways I will never connect with. And so I don't have to be like Richard Campbell in sharing my faith. I have to be like Mike Hurchin in sharing my faith. I can't be like Jason Goings in leading youth. I don't have the patience for it. I don't, I just, oh, youth. The beauty of it is I don't have to be like Jason Goings and leading youth. Jason, even though I come from youth ministry, Jason reaches youth in ways I never could because God has uniquely placed him to do that. He speaks and, and, and connects with youth in ways I never could. I can't lead worship like Jackson or Bree or the whole worship band. Good. Maybe you just need to play cowbell or something. I don't know, but I can't swing a hammer like some people. Fine. But I promise you this. God has placed you here and he's equipped you with only what you can do so Harvest Hill can do what only it needs to do. He invites us all to be a part of it. Isn't that amazing? He trusts us that much for the glory of his name. Not looking to anybody else and how they do it or what they say, or, but looking to Jesus Christ. Just keep my eyes on him. And to be a part of what God is inviting us to. The final thing I want us to see is God has called us into his eternal promise. Just as he's calling Joshua here in the, verse, the first opening verses. Joshua played his part in the promise that God gave Moses. Moses played his part in the promise that God gave Israel and Abraham. Abraham played his part in the promise that God gave Noah. Noah played his part in the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve played the part in the promise that God declared in the beginning of creation when he made all things good. And we're all called to play our part in the promise that began with Jesus Christ, continued into the disciples, and now lives in 2018 in in Harvest Hill. We're called to something bigger than ourselves. So here it is. It's not about us. It's about getting on God's page and God's plan and being about God's will and His promise and understand that He is inviting us all. So here's a question this morning for us. What part am I playing What part am I playing? Stop looking at what everyone else is doing. God may be calling you into the ministry or the missions, but you can say, I can't do it like so-and-so. Great. 
but he is calling you to be a part. What part am I playing? How? How am I living in God's promise in my marriage? How am I living it in my relationships? How am I living it as a parent? How am I living it as an employer? How, students, are you living in God's promise as a student, as an athlete, as a a thespian, as an instrumentalist? How am I living in God's promise, which God has placed me and equipped and made me for in this moment to be a part of? How am I doing this right now? How are we doing it as Harvest Hill? Are we looking to what other things are going on at other churches and thinking, oh, wow, well. How are we remaining focused on what God has called only us to do here? How are we living in God's promise in Stratford, in Greene County, in Missouri, in the United States? The Bible tells us this is our part of the promise. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And if you notice in Joshua chapter 1, it's the exact same promise he delivers to Joshua as he steps out in faith. Verse 9 of chapter 1, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He invites us to be a part of the promise. What part are we playing? You may be here this morning and you need to first understand the promise of God. The Bible says that God created you and created me and everyone we know for a relationship with Him. The Bible also makes it very clear that we all have sin problems. We do things we shouldn't do. More importantly, we do things against the Word of God. Sometimes we don't tell the truth. Sometimes we do lie. Sometimes we do covet. That's all sin. And the Bible says because of our sin, we are separated from God. And even worse is that we're separated from God into eternal life unless our sin problem is taken care of. So you may be here this morning, and the part of the promise you need to understand is that you are a sinner And God has brought you here to this place not to hear about promises and being uniquely made, which is important, but He brought you here to this place to understand that He is inviting you to be a part of His story through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God, salvation, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How is that possible? Because Jesus Christ lived a life you and I couldn't. He died on a cross taking our punishment they placed him in a tomb, but he rose from the third, on the third day. The Bible says, when I believe that in my heart and confess it with my mouth, I will be saved. Not only be forgiven for all my sins, but I'll be given eternal life. And that's being a part of God's promise, what he's made you to be. So you may be here this morning and understand that I've yet to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've yet to personally do that. And I need to be saved. I'm going to come down here and invite you to come down and just let me know, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. You may be here this morning and, and God has hit you like he hit me and, and that you're stuck in the comparison world. That's the oldest lie Satan can give you. 
You just need to be refocused on who Jesus Christ is and what God has made you already to be a part of. It's beautiful. Maybe you just need to come before the Father and say, I'm sorry for looking to everyone else but to you. I'm going to ask Jeff and Bridget to come up and lead us in a song. The song is called Oceans. And maybe that's where God is with us right now. Is he is calling us out to places we've never been because we've made up all the excuses on why we can't because we can't do it like somebody else. But God has brought you to this place right here in this moment to understand that he's not calling you to be like somebody else, but to be the person he's making you to be to do what only you can do. Maybe you need to pray for a coworker. Maybe you need to pray for a friend at school. Maybe you need to pray for a relationship or a child or a grandchild or your marriage. I'm just going to ask you to come down and kneel before the Father. He's inviting us all to be a part of His promise. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this day. Well, thank You. This, this is all about grace because we don't deserve this. We don't deserve to be a part of what You've already been doing for thousands of years. You call us who, who struggle with our own identity, who struggle with sin, who struggle with looking at other things, who struggle with comparing ourselves to other people, and you call us to represent you and to be a part of the story that you're unfolding into eternity. Father, help us just to be in awe of you. I know these are just kind of moments we already know, but to be in awe of that, that Lord, you've, you're doing a great mighty work in us. Father, I pray for the individuals here this morning that don't know you as your Lord and Savior. As they heard the story of what you did and your son and Jesus and how he died for Saul and rose again, they've, they've come to understand in their heart, they, their, their mind just can't get off of that, that they are not saved. So I pray in this moment that your spirit would just place such a conviction and a courage upon their heart that they wouldn't be able to stay where they are, but they would walk down and let it be known. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your promise, your plan, your will. We are undeserving. Let this time be a time where we are not hearers of your word, but doers. Praise all in Jesus' name. Let's stand as we sing. I invite you to come.